LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, folks, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and here I come like a bat out of hell. How are you all doing today? We've got a huge audience, all two of you out there. Thank you so much. for. Oh, look, there's 10 of you. My God, you guys missed me, didn't you? It's been a few weeks since I've done this, and it's been a few weeks because I have not had it, man. I have literally had to recharge my batteries, and for those people that aren't into self-care let me tell you self-care is vital in this space you always want to see change happen you always want to see good things happen the reality is is that without a little bit of self-care there ain't no you care that's for goddamn sure you've got to take care of yourself this is a very very miserable business the more honest you are the more willing you are to stare the beast in its eye the more defeated you become right because reality is is that we're up against insane absolutely unbelievable forces and one of the things i i'm i'm really torn up about this and this is probably part of the reason why i took a, a fairly significant leave of absence from doing the show because i'm tired of people complaining about quote unquote punching laterally punching down at our own um because reality is, is that every single one of us knows the oligarchs are shitheads. We already know that our government isn't serving us. We already know that uh, the fucking parties are a joke. We already know that elections are a joke. So if you don't understand that part of the problem is people got to show up to do the work. You know, something silly. I'll give you an example. Within Real Progressives, we have transcripts. And we have show notes and we have extras and we put out an APB for help just to give us the extras. In other words, provide the backing links that came with the, the podcast for the interview. And it was like, no one raised their hand. It was like maybe in a couple days, but for the most part, nobody raised their hand. And I, I, for a long time, I really got upset with myself thinking that it was my problem here at Real Progressives that somehow or another, after doing this for almost 10 years uh, without pay, that somehow or another, I was just missing the point that, that walking and doing this stuff, you know, somehow or another, I was missing the target. And I realized that maybe, maybe not so much, maybe the problem is, is that because we don't hold each other within the movement accountable because we don't hold each other accountable and because we don't recognize that in a society that doesn't have class, somebody has to work collaboratively to lead. You have to show up. You have to be a vanguard. You have to be the one that says, Hey, I'll do the work. I'll take care of it. And that just isn't unfortunately the way a lot of this goes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off this. I, I will tell you, I had a long conversation with a friend of mine who is in the legal affairs side of the airline unions. And he's very upset, just despondent, can't figure out how to get anything done. And we're always talking about the unions being kind of like the leader in terms of taking us to that next level. And you've heard me talk to Joe Burns about uh, class struggle unionism. You've heard me talk to uh, Marianne Garneau uh, about uh, unionize, unionizing and organizing within the workforce. You've heard me talk to Jeff Reisberg about it. You've heard me talk to Sarah Nelson about it. You've heard me talk to the president of the AFL-CIO, um, David Van Dusen, um, up in Vermont, and you've heard me talk to Liz Medina. Obviously, organizing is a very big deal in what I talk about. It's a very big focus in the work that I do. And yet, at Real Progressives, we can't get people to consistently one day a week show up to help with extras without it being like, oh, my God, I got to move heaven and earth. I've got to somehow or another, you know, solve world hunger before I can do a half hour of committed work. Just insane. Insane. So 
without further ado, let me bring on the show, the the video that's going to start us off. And this is Jeff Reisberg, ironically, from the American Airlines in, uh, Union talking to the Delta flight attendants. Listen to this. So he's saying a message from an American Airlines flight attendant to Delta flight attendants. Contract now. Contract now. You all hear that now? I see you guys trying to organize over there and um, we know it's tough. We know it's tough work and you guys at it for a while now, but we are never going to stop having your back. And if, uh, if you're one of those flight tents of Delta that is thinking they're not sure if they want to sign that card or not, this is how we raise our living standards. It's a struggle for every generation, but it doesn't just lift up us. It lifts up all flight attendants. So if we're successful, you're successful. You matter. They don't want you to have a seat at the table. They don't want you all of this because this is how you win. So do it for yourselves. Sign that card. Do it for all of us. Delta AFA. Okay. So let me show you the responses to Jeff's speech there. Did you know, according to AFA United, in just six of the 17 years of profit sharing, did AFA CWA dues payers receive 5% or more? Meanwhile, we are one Delta flight attendants saw more than 5% at least 11 years since 2006, six of which were 10% or more. One year as large as 21%. Okay, this is the, the anti-union people, right? So Jeff comes back and says, Here's this cartoon of Keynes and Hayek. This exchange reminds me of the union saved Delta's uh, airline compensation. And during Corona, when some of their own were skeptical about unions, we fought for all in the past, struck down age, weight, marriage, pregnancy limits. Okay. And so then the next statement is, I mean, this is really bad. It's like cute cartoon. I like it, but it doesn't address our conversation, which is that AFA's track record for its dues paying members is much worse than our non-union group. And the fact that you're at American airlines and worse than United. Well, then she comes back. If you're so happy with AFA, why are you picketing? I'm so confused. Why in the world would I want to join you? Is everything perfect at Delta? No. But we do make changes seat at the table and have it far better than any airline, all without a contract. No way, AFA, leave us alone. Look at that trash, 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 right? But there's something to this. He goes, hi, Stacy. Happy to clear up any confusion. AA flight attendants are under APFA, not AFA. We pick it because we a power struggle is going on and we aim to win. If you aren't at the bargaining table or on the board able to force concessions, respectfully, you're not at the table. He's like, then why do you have an AFA pin on your lapel? And he says, to show my support for the flight attendants at Delta to trying to come together. I also had a pin for Airport Workers United who are organizing the wheelchair pushers and cleaners who get abused even worse by the airlines. And then the next one, why in the world would we want to do this? No, thank you. This is absolutely embarrassing. Look at this prick, right? So he comes back. Fundamentally, I'm asking you to believe in your flying partners. Believe they are smart enough and worthy enough to belong at the table and make our lives better than they are today. Michelle Jarvis, let's be honest. You want us to sign so you get better. You don't care about us or what we get. We already get better without picketing unpaid on our time off. We get more without paying dues. How will us signing benefit you? It says not everything is a zero-sum gain. It's possible for you and I both to do better, not for one or the other. Yes, I want to spend more time with my family and work less. Yes, you should get that too. To do that, it means standing with our coworkers and taking on corporate greed. But the replies get worse. I don't know about AA 
or your required schedule values and swapping, et cetera. But I do know I can have all that with seniority because as long as there's seniority, who cares about the people without seniority, right? Fuck them, right? The trips I bid, hold, swap, drop, et cetera. I'm a single mom and in school. I drop all my tips in a pickup and another base to make life easier and didn't have to pick it for it. It's like, while you're picketing, Delta flight attendants are busy making money. Take profit sharing. Your airline is lowest among us. Many years getting zero with a contract. It may make sense for you, but we're fine. Many among us have been unionized at prior airlines and know better. He comes back. It's dishonest to cherry pick points of comparison and say, see, we're better off without a union. One, would you have to do a full review of everything of economic impact to make an honest comparison? And two, would all do better if you had the capacity to lift yourselves up higher? And he goes, so using your logic, it's dishonest to cherry pick points of comparison and say, see, you're worse off without a union, right? One, a full review isn't needed to know better. Two, we would all do better if you had the capacity to lift yourselves up by your bootstraps. Look at that. These, these motherfuckers. Look at this trash. Seriously, look at this. Okay. <clears throat> trash. Then he comes back and says, 1A, to find if DL is the top, you'd have to compare all aspects, not some. 1B, extra honest. You'd have to remove any benefits DL got thanks to free riding on union wins. And two, if DL flight attendants had a way to raise the bar significantly, it would help all airline uh, FAs get more. Look at this. I guess the point you're attempting to make is that Delta makes more, although maybe not. But even if so, you support unions even while earning less. I'm not sure how much higher you want Delta to raise the bar before your logic changes, but okay, nice signs and chants out there. And he comes back, one, two, wasn't the point I was trying to make. I was saying to find out who is best compensated, you'd have to do a deep and broad analysis of all airlines. So cherry picking numbers like profit sharing on top of or top out pay isn't enough to make conclusions. Agreed. Yet those are two of the top barometers and Delta leads consistently. Right. Delta's management is trying to convince everyone they don't need a union, not to be fair and honest, and let you come to your own conclusions. It's gross. These stats make my point. Unions in general raise the floor, even for non-union folks. And it comes back to presume Delta flight attendants aren't smart enough to make our own decisions and many times based upon prior union membership is shallow. <coughs> I have provided you facts, your stats, if that's what you mean by that ridiculous chart is insane. Back, I believe in all workers' intelligence, which is fundamentally why I believe so strongly in unions. If you don't support unions, it says you don't think your coworkers are smart and deserving enough to have a seat at the table and make life better. Trust in your coworkers. And it just keeps going on and on. Good for you. My not supporting AFA says nothing about my colleagues. I maintain great friendships and faith as some of the most ardent advocates. I do not support AFA, and I am satisfied with my company. How does that boot leather taste there, motherfucker, right? Michelle uh, Jarvis comes back. It seems as if your colleagues aren't as happy as you with your current union and leader. By the way, you're picketing unpaid for something we already get paid for, and we only voiced our wants. What is what? That is what an industry-leading airline looks like. It is perfect. No, but is it worth it? Yes. And so he comes back, you're here because you want to hurt the union drive at Delta and not interested in debate or education. Your gotcha is something that happens to every government that has existed. You can never make everyone happy. You don't see pilots at FAs giving up our unions. And she's like, that's really a false statement. I'm actually down the middle and can see the pluses of both sides, but I'll never understand another both side, but I'll never understand why outsiders want to get in the middle and put their two cents in when you have no clue. You're going off your own opinions hearsay because you can't know when you don't work here. 
He says, if when you take a deeper look at the union side, you'll discover we are two airlines, but so many of the same issues as flight attendants and what we achieve helps you and vice versa. It's something I didn't understand fully until I actually got involved in doing union work. And it just keeps going on and on. We have flight attendants to see to the board of directors. I mean, each one of these people are just, yet you haven't matched what we already have. We will keep leading the way with our direct relationship with company. No way AFA. Anyway, you can see this is, this is, this is what we're dealing with. Okay. This is what we're dealing with. And I, I want to explain it gets deeper than that. Right. I, I was talking to him earlier today and I said, you know, it's interesting. When George W. Bush took us to war in Iraq and took us to war in Afghanistan, there was no president in the history of the United States that had a higher approval rating than George W. Bush at the time of those wars. Unprecedented high approval rate. Why is that? Because everybody was rallying around an absolutely awful tragedy. They were rallying around death. They were rallying around despair, right? So many people think somehow or another we're going to get to wherever we need to get to with milk toast pandering. And unfortunately, they don't recognize that the vast majority of people are like those people right there. They're doing well enough that they don't want to lose what they got. Think about the assholes in Nevada when Bernie Sanders was running that were literally going to go against Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders was trying to get Medicare for all for everyone, but they had their union fought health care. What kind of trash acts like that? Well, unfortunately, more trash than any of us will acknowledge. Okay. The reality is this is how the Democratic Party makes its bed and breakfast all for all of us, right? This is their Airbnb. They bring us all in. And what they do is they cater to normies. You know, I I was joking around, if you all have ever seen the movie Tropic Thunder, where Matthew McConaughey is going back and forth with Ben Stiller because Ben Stiller didn't get his TiVo out there in the jungle. He's like, don't, you don't have to explain to me why you want TiVo. And it's like these kind of stupid, pathetic kind of corporate unions that put forward these like dink and dunk bullshit things, right? This is what the average normie cares about. They have not gotten to a point where they see the tragedy, the life and death of austerity. And because most of the folks I know won't even talk about austerity as murder. They would rather placate the people that just a notch above them because they want to they want to pander to these people that are doing really well, whether it be academics, they want to be on the in crowd. They want to be on the first name basis. So they want to talk in soft ways up here to these people, not realizing that the only time you ever have solidarity in this country is when there's a tragedy, when there's a murder, when there's something else that happens, when the police kill someone, you get massive movement temporarily, but it doesn't sustain. It never sustains ever. And part of that is because regular people don't realize that they are important. They are part of, they are important to be part of that movement, to be part of making things happen. Every organization, every movement has got to have a vanguard. It's a small select group of people that are on fire for the mission that don't sit there and have to be chased around. Where's, have you seen so-and-so? Have they checked in? Where are they? You've got to have people that are dialed in that you don't have to babysit to get them to come where they need to be. They show up because they recognize it's their responsibility to be the wake-up call, to be the alarm clock, okay? And in the absence of that, in the absence of people leading that charge, the average people just fiddle away, just go off in their own directions. And it's it's disgusting, okay? It's very, very disgusting to me. Now, I was on a panel the other day on Status Quo, and I heard an interview with Crystal Ball and Jordan. 
and you guys know I'm friends with Jordan, but Jordan and I don't see eye to eye on everything, right? I mean, let's be fair. I'm the lefty at status. I bring up a lot of the, the far left issues when I'm there. I'm not the guy just going whatever. I mean, I believe Jordan has some, you know, ideas that are different than mine, okay? He still has some hope, if you will, in electoralism. I have thrown that away. I don't believe that we have a prayer of voting our way to the finish line. I just don't. But I recognize that you've got to reach people where they are, okay? And unfortunately, the quote-unquote wokest of woke in our midst amounts to like 1%. It's it's a very, very small amount. It doesn't matter if 70% of the people want to be independents. It doesn't matter if what, what matters is that their level of comfort. And as long as they are comfortable and as long as they can enjoy having those gentlemen's conversations without fear of their electric getting shut off or without fear of their paycheck not covering their medical expenses, et cetera, they just keep doing it. They, you know, like for me, talking about modern monetary theory ceases to make any interesting matter to me whatsoever. Once you start talking about, well, how will you get it passed through Congress, right? Because all the programs, all the policies, all the things that we claim we want, we, we haven't stuttered. They're there. But when's the last time you heard someone talk about a Green New Deal? When's the last time you heard people fighting for a Green New Deal? When's the last time you heard people staying principled, stuck on implementing a job guarantee? It just doesn't last. It doesn't stick around. It doesn't, it doesn't actually hold. Why? people are fickle and they get bored and they go off and watch TikTok. They just vanish. They got things that they'd like to do in their life, having nothing to do with solidarity. And solidarity is what it takes to move forward. So what happens? You end up invariably dealing with people going to the Democratic Party because that's where people show up. That doesn't mean they're smart or that they're woke, or that they're ready to fight, or that they're going to go down with the ship, or they're willing to stay principled and lose elections. And I brought this up. I, I'm a Washington Commanders fan. I think it's over here. Yeah. Washington Commanders fan. Terrible team, terrible owner, awful owner. Um, But they were just good enough to be at 500. Always at 500. What does that do? That prevents them from ever getting the first pick in the draft. It prevents them from ever building up enough assets that are young and on the low end of the salary cap, okay, to build the kind of team to win. It ends up leaving them always middling, suffering, useless, okay? So here we are. We as progressives, as leftists, as whatever, as the left of the center, okay, we unfortunately, think we've got to win every election. We think we've got to win every election. We've got to fight for these elections. When in reality, had we allowed ourselves to lose an election, we saw absolute solidarity from people when they were fighting back against Donald Trump. A lot of the latte liberals, they were out there willing to fight. They're back to sleep now. They're back there chastising lefties. Back there talking about how we pie in the sky and we don't know our ass from our hole in the ground. The one thing they get right is that we check out the minute it gets a little tough. The minute someone actually asks us, hey, you're going to have to put off supper for 15 minutes. You're going to have to tell your wife, hey, I'm 15 minutes. I got to be on this call. I can't be there. Or I have to tell my husband or I have to do it. The minute you have to do something like that, it's over. And they know that. They know that. They know that up there. They know full well the minute that people are inconvenienced in the least, they're done. They can be as fucking damn exit as they want to be, fist in the air in the land of hypocrisy. But the minute you put a demand on them to show up on Friday night for a half hour to do something, they're done. They're absolutely done. So I could punch at Joe Biden. I'm sure somebody feels really good about Biden, Biden. Oh, Biden. Oh, oligarchy, capitalism. But reality, we can't even have those kind of conversations if we can't bring enough people through the vanguard to have the conversation. Can't. Cannot do it. 
And with people as flaky as they are, and folks, it don't take much to see, people are not willing to get the first pick in the draft by allowing the election to be lost. They still sit there, oh, no, what do you want, Trump? Sometimes you need a Trump to make you fucking fight back because we don't fight back unless we have tragedy at our door. We don't. We just don't. Did I like it that way? No. But think about this. When a person goes into Alcoholics Anonymous for their first time, they will tell you flat out that if the drunk hasn't hit rock bottom yet, they still got more research and development to do. They're still going to go out there and see if they can get away with just, just one beer, just see how it tastes, never realizing that one beer always turns into 14 beers, okay? Or maybe they have a few dinners where they stick with the one beer, but it's shortly thereafter, the world didn't set right, and now all of a sudden they're back to the races, okay? When it comes down to political organizing, okay, you can get everybody together as long as it's completely milk toast and feckless and doesn't require any sacrifice. You saw when Bernie Sanders was actually on his game and he was saying, I want to see those transcripts, Hillary Clinton. Everybody was up in arms, ready to fucking go to war. We were ready. When we were at the DNC in Philadelphia, all those reps, they were ready to walk out and force Bernie Sanders, force them to have the vote for Bernie Sanders. But alas, the capitulation occurred. The selling out occurred. The dropping out occurred. The falling in line occurred. And what happened? People lost hope. They lost their way. They lost belief that change was possible. When AOC stood on Nancy Pelosi's desk, every one of us said, oh, my God, somebody actually exists that does this stuff. And then all of a sudden she did what she did. She became Hillary Clinton at a young age. All of a sudden now she's back to carrying the water for neoliberal garbage. Okay, it requires us to literally focus on solidarity, but not solidarity as in just for the hell of it. Solidarity as in we are fighting for the real thing, solidarity and truth. It doesn't mean we are all in agreement on everything. It means we're in solidarity for our class, for our working class struggle, okay, that we stand together. But as you saw clearly, even in the unions, they're not willing to lose a little something-something to bring everybody up. They're not willing to make any kind of sacrifice whatsoever. You see this with a lot of middle-income, middle-class people that have a decent job and their kids get the best of everything in life. The sun is always shining on them. Everything's okay. You ask them about what they believe, and they're like, yeah, I'm absolutely believing all these progressive values. Well, can you step forward and do these 10 things that we need to do to make it happen? Oh, no, I'm, I'm busy. I, I, uh, I have other things going on. Or, oh, my hip hurts. I'm, I'm a little sick. I'm a little under the weather. I won't be able to do it. Oh, my job is so busy. I'm so sorry. I can't do that. It's the excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. And I'm not going to blame Joe Biden for it. I'm not going to blame Kamala Harris for it. I'm not going to blame Pete Buttigieg for it. The fact of the matter is, is that when I was in the hospital with COVID, I was sitting there typing up stuff for real progressives from my hospital bed. Wow, fancy that. When I went on the fucking vacation to the beach, the first time I had been in like 15 years, I sat there with my phone in the tent while they were playing, and I would check my messages. I didn't say, well, I can't check messages for two days because I'm on vacation. Fucking, I'm, I, I'm not a loser. I wouldn't do that, right? So the ultimate truth is, is that we find ways to excuse ourselves from doing the things that must be done. And we use very, very wimpy language to explain the absolute desperate need for fighting back. And we communicate in such ways that breed milk toast, that breeds nonsense, that breeds weakness, that breeds a lack of commitment, a lack of focus. You could sit there and pat yourself on the back all day long if that's what you need. But I'm going to read one more thing. I do have one more thing that I want to share to uh, finalize this particular uh, live stream anyway. 
And this is uh, part of Jeff's conversation as well, not from that particular Twitter thread, but from a Facebook post. And I think it's all valid. I think all of this stuff is very valid and important for us to see because there's some people out there that will try to obfuscate everything. They will try to obfuscate things, and it's very, very disappointing. I'll just leave it at that. Um, So let me see here. I think this is it. Okay. Nope. Yes, this is it. So let me close this out. Let me close this out. And let's go ahead up here. So Jeff comes back. If y'all can see this, let's see if y'all can see this. Are y'all able to see this? I believe you are. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you can see it. Okay. All right. So with this in mind, he says, ideologically, you can usually divide people into two camps, those who feel empathy towards others and those who don't. Do you want a society to be a competition that you compete in, or do you want everyone to make it? I think that's the only divide that really matters. You can always debate the other stuff and be persuaded or persuade. There's nothing you can say to make people care about each other. At best, you can try to bring people from different walks of life together in a friendly environment so they overcome the us versus them feelings and raise awareness of each other's story. Okay. So what he did, he's got some good comments in here. Uh, This guy, Brian Skiffington, is the name that I'm going to key off of. He just says this first thing, but it's the next comment that really matters. He says, have you read Modern Politics by C.L.R. James? He essentially lays out the case that the last 300 years of world history, art, culture, war, are based on two competing philosophies. It's kind of a light bulb moment. Nice short read. But here he comes down here, and I think this is the big one. He says, this is the reoccurring fear I have, that is, if most people are motivated to act only to better their own life and not to better people's lives who are worse off, the formerly oppressed who liberated themselves through collective struggle become the new oppressors because they were motivated to serve themselves and not the cause of universal justice. And they become the new top of the power hierarchy. I see it all the time. Now, here's where it gets good. Check this out. Ryan Skiffington, is this sort of, this is sort of the enduring question, right? Workers who organize a union and secure better wages, health care benefits for their families, they've now created the kind of stability that should run up, that should free up time or energy to turn around and help others work or other workers organize and build their power too. But more often than not, workers tend to retreat into individualism, again, saying, I got mine, fuck the rest of y'all. Workers convince themselves that, the, and this is that libertarian trash, okay? Trash, trash, okay? But I got mine, fuck the rest of y'all. Workers convince themselves that their own genius and prowess and skill is why we have what they have and not the other, not the collective power of the workers standing together. This is especially true in unions that have been around for decades with closed shop contracts like mine. A new union who have struggled together from the beginning are more apt to keep the energy and participation up, but without constantly stoking and maintaining the fire, it dwindles. Look at that right there. See, at Real Progressives, we should be able to do this. Sadly, we can't even do it. We have people that just won't show up, won't check in, won't say anything, and don't realize that they're not doing that is like steroids for the rest of the org not doing it as well. It's shameful, it's awful, and it's killing us. But it's not just at our shop. We're just a microcosm. It kills at unions. It kills everywhere. The people that think they're above checking in and doing the things that keep the energy going fucking destroy movements. It says... I'd say the center of my motivation for all the time and energy I put into my union is looking at how to answer the problem you've laid out. My wobblyisms come back to me in moments like these. And it's why we stand on so many other worker workers picket lines and drag coworkers with us to action strike rallies, why we organize fundraisers, education events, social events, and all the things we do. They're all attempts at agitating the rank and file around us to see the class struggle and feel connected to it. The times between contracts is when we should be drilling for war. Right here, this right here. 
The time between elections is when we should be drilling for war. The time between whatever is when we should be doing it. But instead, far too many people go, oh, it's it's the holidays. Let me check out for two months, and then I'll come back when I'm good and ready. When life is perfect, then I'll check back in. When everything's done around my house, then I'll check back in. When my kids are perfect and they get straight A's, then I'll check back in. Okay? Constant trash. Trash. So the time between contracts is when we should be drilling for war. Instead, workers fall into a routine, get fat and comfortable. Boy, oh boy, ain't that the truth. My biggest two cents here are is that organizing drives and shop floor jobs actions are the two biggest energy builders for any unions or local labor community. See, and this goes for nonprofits too. When you actually do events, when you do panels, when you do outdoor events and you do, uh, you know, create um, local chapters, when you do things that get people involved, it's exciting. When you don't, when you're quiet and you hide in the background and you don't do what you're supposed to do, when the leader tells you, hey, please check in, please talk to people, please engage them. When you don't do that, it fails every single effing time. So when there's a union struggle in town, the teachers, teamsters, whoever has a strike or a fight on, those are great moments to to move your passive coworkers or maybe your entire local into action to support another group of workers. For your own union, when the shit goes down to the job and workers hold the line on a shop floor action, it's like a mini insurrection. That draws every coworker into an immediate mini strike scenario. What do we call this, folks? That right there is an event horizon. This is a, a thing. This is like an immediate struggle. And that brings people together, just like the Iraq war did, sadly. Okay. Health and safety, intimidation by management, whatever the thing is, psychologically, that does more to build power, consciousness, and solidarity than anything you could ever read in a book or teach in a class. So I guess if you want to keep people consciously thinking about class struggle and solidarity, then we need to turn up the shop floor militancy. What? What? What is this? What? What? What, what is that? We got we to gotta turn up the militancy? Wait a minute, that, that flies in the face of all the tone police. What do you mean? Make the bosses dread coming to their own job site. Huh. It feels like to me, feels like to me, maybe we've got a problem here. Maybe what we've got is a problem of people not recognizing that if they're not going to be all in, if they're not going to throw themselves out of problem, if they're not going to be militant, Things are going to die, especially for the, the forward observer, the, the group, the vanguard, that group that comes to the front. You've got to be at the front end if you're there, and you've got to have energy to bring, and you can't find a million and one excuses for why we can't count on you. You've got to be reliable. You've got to show up because if you don't do it, others are going to say, well, she didn't do it. Why should I do it? He didn't do it. Why should I do it? And eventually you start looking around and say, well, so-and-so said to check in, but I don't see others doing it, so why should I do it? And see, people regress to the mean. It doesn't matter what the stated goals are. People watch. They watch what others are doing. And when others don't do what needs to be done, they say, well, why should I do it? Why should I be the one? Why should I put myself out there? Why should I put any effort into sharing content or to checking in or to interacting or to help build momentum? Okay. Why should I have to do that? And that selfishness is a kissing cousin of libertarianism. That's a kissing cousin of Ayn Rand. And each person I see do it that says they're a lefty, I just sort of smile and say, sure you are. Sure you are. How's that boot leather taste? And I see people that are really edgy, think they're really far left. But yet when push comes to shove and you need to get them to, to do something consistently, show up, put the jersey on, do the thing, they won't do it. There's always something more important in their life 
that prevents them from being solid and to be accountable and to be someone you can lean on and build with. There's always something going on over there that prevents them from doing the thing. And, and this is the thing, when you're in a union or when you're working and you know that if I don't do my part in the project, that the other people downstream won't be able to do their part in the project either and people are waiting on me and depending on me, when you aren't willing to put your ass into that, you create the very real concerns that we face today and why we can't take back our power, why we can't resist a Joe Biden, why we can't resist a Pete Buttigieg, why we can't force Hillary to give us the goddamn transcripts at J.P. Morgan, okay? When people are milk toast, when they're Zweiback, when they're no spice vanilla, when they're just going through the motions, that's fucking movement killer. And our movement died. A lot of our movement is history. The, the, the concept of a movement under Bernie feels like yesterday, like a long yesterday ago. Because honestly, we had something we were fighting for. We were fighting for a Green New Deal. We were fighting for a job guarantee. We were fighting for all these different aspects, Medicare for all, you name it. There was a group of things that we knew we had a clear direction for what we were fighting for. It's gone doesn't exist, okay, doesn't exist. And as a real honest-to-God statement, it doesn't do me any good to punch Joe Biden. It doesn't do me any good to punch the establishment. It doesn't do me a damn bit of good to punch at the oligarchs. Every one of us down here at the worker level, every one of us, has problems. Every one of us has families. Every one of us has health problems. I have a chronic illness that would leave me. I could go file for um, absolute disability right here, right now. I can barely walk, but yet I'm not. But yet I still show up, even though I'm sick, even though I take injections in my stomach and kills my immune system. I have to deal with the worthless libertarian saying, should have made different choices instead of getting COVID. Crap like that. The trash that does that stuff, but yet I show up. High blood pressure, all kinds of things. I still show up. I still am counted on. I still do what I say I'm going to do. A movement that doesn't have people willing to do the things that they are supposed to do, to lean in and recognize this is for all of us and not be worried. Well, I don't know. How does that play into all the things I want to do? I don't know. I don't know. Instead of being a libertarian-minded person, instead of thinking selfishly, thinking collectively, how can I help make this work? How can I lean in and do this thing? How can I stop putting the privilege of my children, the privilege of my life, and the privilege of my birth first and foremost before I help with the rest of the people that are drowning and struggling? Until I elevate that, nothing changes. And the vanguard that has to take place, that vanguard has to be energetic. It has to be committed. It has to be willing to show up and say, hey, I've never done that before, but I'm willing to try. Hell, I'll learn. Fuck it, show me. I know the movement needs it. I know we need it. I'll do it. I don't, I don't even need to know what's involved. I'll figure it out. And if I figure something out and I don't know how to do it, will you help me? Fucking A. But this whole, well, I've never done that. I, I can't really help because I've, I've never done What does it entail? I have to think about it. Don't tell me dem exit. I'm down with the tawapoli. Revolution. If you can't do some basic shit. If you won't do some basic shit. If you're so focused on self that killing self and becoming part of the collective to help move this forward. If that's too big of an order for you, don't look far. You're part of the problem. This whole political apparatus is bullshit. And without someone there to hold it accountable and to literally organize outside the parties, you will always be swallowed up back into the parties, your issues killed, rolled back in, and done away with with no resistance. 
to think you can bring a third party into a party system where the two parties have absolute control from the debate stage to funding to the media, you name it, recognize that in the end, our problem is not about parties. It's about the whole entire system is predicated on keeping us out. And until we force our way in, we're not going to have any of that change. It's not. And it's going to be every election cycle, some normie that still has rose-colored eyes and still believes that the squad is fighting for them. And nothing you can say will detract them from understanding that without them applying pressure, even their friends in the squad will fail them. If they don't recognize it, if they don't dig into that, if they don't put themselves into the mix. I mean, I remember when we went to the Medicare for All March this summer. I think there was 70 people in total there. 70. 70 people on a Saturday. There wasn't even work to complain about. Saturday in the nation's capital where there's metros and everything else, 70 people, 70 people showed up. 70 people. But sure, down with the duopoly, down with the system, fist in the air in the land of hypocrisy. 70 people. And the absolute majority of the people that were there were people that were working on the action. We have got to realize that we can't just vote our way out of there because we have allowed ourselves to live in the Wally world. We're on the spaceship. We're fat, gelatinous. Our arms barely move anymore. We're so used to somebody else doing the struggle for us, so used to somebody else and always punching some nefarious person somewhere else rather than owning the fact that the first step is saying, how can I help? How can I help? I may not know everything I need to know, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to help. People are not doing that. They're busy binge watching Netflix. I swear to God, it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. But they will be on Twitter like you wouldn't believe, telling everybody how it's down with the duopoly. Ooh, edgelords. But none of them willing to make that really happen. No one willing to fight against austerity, claiming that they're anti-war, yet letting austerity murder. No, no, no energy whatsoever because tone police and others have made this such a joke. The death and struggle are dumbed down to vote blue. And that's the end. And that's not the end. And that's not the way it should be at all. It's not the way it should be at all. Anyway, I'm Steve Grumbine. We have a book club tonight, folks. I'm going to just tell you right now, you should definitely come to our book club. It's going to be a Randall Ray book club. If Please go to our website. If somebody has the link that they can put into the chat, I would really appreciate it. But Randall Ray wrote a book called Making Money uh, Work for Us. And um, it is going to be tonight, and I think it's the next three weeks. I think it's the next three weeks that the book club will be going on. It might be four weeks. But please check out our book club. It's an opportunity to fellowship and get to know people. It's also an opportunity to learn something maybe you didn't know. And it's also one of the greatest economists the world's ever seen in Randall Ray. So please come check out our book club tonight. Um, please, if somebody can add the particulars into the chat, I would really, really appreciate it. Um, lastly, uh, please check out our Macro and Cheese podcast Saturdays at 8 a.m. or when we release it. Folks, we've got people on our team that think they're going to watch Macro and Cheese. Macro and Cheese is an audio podcast. We release it once a week. And you can listen to it a million times anytime you like on any podcasting hosting platform. It's not video. Why? Because a lot of people don't watch videos. 
Yes, some people are devoted to YouTube, but a lot of people want to cut their grass, go on a trip, do whatever, and they load up a bunch of podcasts and they just binge listen. We've made macro and cheese evergreen. So every episode that we do, with very few exceptions, is an episode that if you listen to it today will be just as relevant as it was when we recorded it. So please check out macro and cheese, check out the extras, read the transcript, share it around, get friends to listen to it. It will give you so much information. You will be so much better for it in the end. And also, of course, I work over at Status Coup. Uh, Tuesday nights, I typically do a show with Jordan. We're still trying to figure out whether Let's Get Ready to Grumble will continue. But in the meantime, I'm here doing the Rogue Scholar Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 12 noon Eastern time. Um, and so with that, I thank you all for joining me and look forward to uh, having these come back regularly. I'm really sorry I needed the time away. But believe me, I was to the point where I didn't even want to get in front of the camera. I figure it this way. If I can't get my own organization to do the things I think need done, it's hard for me to get people outside the organization excited about doing the things I'm trying to get done inside the organization. But it made me realize we just need you to come in the organization and help us. Okay. Help us do things, make things happen. It's not due to a lack of tools. We got the best video editing gear. We've got the best audio editing gear. We've got the best graphic gear okay <clears throat> we've got great microphones we've got great cameras we've got great tools in general thanks to wonderful donors such as yourselves but what we don't have is people that are willing to consistently show up do the thing that must be done and just keep doing it without somebody pulling them around and dragging them around and where are you i haven't seen you what's going on hey are you okay whatever that's some bullshit man ain't nobody got time for that Grow up, Peter Pan, count Chocula, show up and be accounted, right? So anyway, with that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I am punching down today because it's not a matter of Joe Biden, folks. It's a matter of you and I showing up, doing the work. We're all busy. Nobody wants to hear about how busy you are. We're all busy. I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger, so to speak, okay? Nobody wants to hear about how busy you are. If you've got a job, great. A lot of people don't. Don't bitch about it. We all are busy. Fucking help. Do the things you need to do. And when five o'clock hits and your day job is over, fucking lean in, help people, make things happen. Don't just, I'm tired. We're all tired too. We're all exhausted. That's why we need your help. I'm Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar. And please, one final thing. Like and subscribe, please. We do need that, even though I hate saying it. We do need people to like and subscribe. We need people to comment. We need people to share. And with that, I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.